doms and subs, masters, mistresses and slaves, owners and pets, daddies, mommies and littles, primals and prey, switches, heathens, kinksters and deviants, welcome to Legion After Dark. Hello and welcome to Legion After Dark. I'm your host, Lady M, and for this episode, we're going back to the 80s with nine and a half weeks. Here's the trailer. Divorced white female. Beautiful statuesque blonde. Witty. Cultured. <laughs> Lizzie, this is your mother. Remember me? You should give yourself credit for a lot. You're terrific. <laughs> You know, I have five brothers, and my mother was a clerk at a grocery store. <laughs> I support them. I take care of them. I don't know you. You really don't know me. I can't figure this guy out. Have a present for you. Welcome back. Now, this is a tricky movie to review because there are some problematic social outliers sprinkled throughout the film. Uh, there's some r- racial issues. There's some gender issues. So it took me a bit of time to figure out exactly how I wanted to handle reviewing this movie. Uh, in the end, 
I decided that I'm just going to focus on the BDSM aspects of the film and try to understand that this movie is made in a very different time. Um, Such stereotyping is not acceptable, and as we have grown as a society, we have become more and more aware of challenging this type of thing. However, in 1986, people were not as aware as they are in contemporary times, and I will leave it at that. Any of the problematic issues you see in this movie, before you send me hate mail, just know I am aware of them. I'm just not going to talk about them because this is not the right format for it. This podcast is about kink and about kink-inspired movies. So we're just going to focus on the kinky and, you know, save the commentary on the social issues for another time and place. Um, Now, on to the review. The movie opens with a quintessential New York opening. Uh, It was really common in the 80s. Any movie set in New York, you had to have the New York opening establishing the character as a proper New Yorker. We see Elizabeth walking through the streets of New York, presumably on her way to work. She walks past a homeless guy, a mugger being chased, car window washers, and she gets catcalled. It's it's the common, you know, New York feel. Uh, We see Elizabeth and her friend getting various shopping items in preparation for a dinner party that she's having. Her friend and her spot some small birds for sale uh, at a... Chinese deli, I'm guessing. And some random rolls up and starts trying to flirt and asks her what she's going to do with them. And she cracks a joke about giving them a proper burial. And they both giggle their heads off. As the random walks away, another man walks up and just smiles at her. And she's intrigued by him. But when she looks back, he's already gone out the door. Because, you know, doms. Oh, you coy doms. You always know what to do (laughs) to pique our curiosity. Um, I think this is an aspect of every submissive's fantasy. The mysterious dominant that spots you and just innately knows your every desire without having to have so much as a conversation. But like all fantasies, the reality is very different. We see Elizabeth later on in a big market where there's a live reggae band playing and there's people everywhere dancing and stalls set up, you know. So she's browsing various stalls and comes across a scarf that she really falls in love with, but it's super expensive. It's like 300 bucks for a scarf. You know, no thanks. That's I wouldn't pay that for a scarf. And she leaves it behind in favor of a little mechanical chicken that she sees at another stall that lays little eggs. And while she's purchasing it, our dominant John approaches her. After some interaction, he uh, presents her with the scarf and wraps it around her. And this becomes sort of their first date, so to speak. He takes her to a house by the coast who he says belongs to a friend of his. And he begins changing the sheets as she's looking around. And, you know, she's like, you're making a lot of assumptions here. And uh, he says some creepy stuff to her, and she's she's freaked out. She wants to leave, and he's he obliges. 
So the following day, he sends her some flowers, and their second date begins. Now, this is your typical seaside date. They are on the coast. He gets her some a bunch of balloons and things, and everything's going well. They're being playful and things like that. And then he leaves her. He puts her on a Ferris wheel. It goes to the top, and he leaves her up there. Now, as he's putting her on the Ferris wheel, we start to see some more of the submissive and, yeah, I'll say it, little-ish behavior from her. She seems to be very little in her submissive behavior. And she sits helplessly up in the air and throws a tantrum. And when she's down, she starts chasing him and smacking him with her handful of balloons. Uh, I noticed very quickly that the more into her submission she gets, the more little-ish she acts, uh, which is adorable. <laughs> they eventually go back to her place, and he asks if he can blindfold her. And she's she's like, well, what if I don't want you to, or what if I don't like it? And he says, well, you can always ask me to leave. And so she consents to being blindfolded. And we get our first sex scene here. Uh, and it's quite gentle. He's blindfolded her. He teases her with some ice and things. Quick, small, small sex scene. And now she's back at work. Somewhat. Obviously, her mind is elsewhere. And I think this is something that every submissive can relate to. She can't focus on anything. She's distracted. She's disinterested. She's completely oblivious to her work and what's going on around her in her office. All she can think about is the experience she had the night before. You know, we've all been there. <laughs> she stays with him another night, and we see her tiptoe into the kitchen while he's cooking. And he has her sit on the floor and close her eyes and keep them closed. She's not allowed to peek. Now, this is something I like to call psychological domination or psychological bondage. The physical restraints aren't there, but she's being controlled by mental restraints. It's the honor system. You know, she knows better. She stays in her place and she leaves her eyes closed. I love this scene so much because the way they shot it, really emphasizes the sounds in the kitchen. She can hear everything, that you know, eggs being crapped, uh, ch vegetables being chopped, and things sizzling. I can only imagine how it smelled. I bet it smelled amazing. Um, and he begins to feed her. Eyes still closed on the floor. Uh, he, see, he feeds her some nice stuff, like little bits of pasta and strawberries and things like that. But he'll also throw some mean things in, like a, a really hot pepper or cough syrup. Oh, God, gross. I hate the taste of cough syrup. Uh, and he alternates through all these things uh, in his fridge and the meal they prepared until they're just both a mess on the floor. You know, he sprays champagne at her and everything. And then he pulls out the honey. And he feeds some to her before pouring it all over her body and finally fucking on the kitchen floor. Now, of all the sex scenes in this movie, this one is my favorite. The setup of listening to all those delicious sounds while he's making the food is fantastic. I think 
I think of all the scenes in this movie, this is the one I most want to recreate in my own life. You know, plus food. What's not to what's not to like there? As their relationship progresses, she invites him to an event uh, to meet her friends, and he responds quite childishly. He he plops his head down on the table and he's like, uh, you know, I don't want to meet your friends. I don't want to meet friends. You know, I want, you know, he tells her he wants her to have her life in the day. And then at night, it's just him and her, you know, um, and this is where she should be realizing what he wants. You know, I mean, he clearly, he wants just the BDSM relationship without any actual vanilla interaction which is all good with a partner who's into that but you know it's clearly not for her so this is kind of where she starts realizing their compatibility issues which they never talk about and they really should (laughs) um but he tells her you know he says he wants to take care of her he'll feed her he'll dress her he'll pick out her clothes He'll do all of it for her. And she likes the sound of it. She knows she's with it. And, you know, he does. He makes her breakfast in the morning. He takes her shopping and picks out her clothes, which I quite like this because while she's trying on this suit, she says, uh, but John, don't you want to, don't you want to ask me if I like this? And he's just like, no. (laughs) Not even a little bit, um, it, which is is it, hot. I quite like that. Um, <laughs> but he brushes her hair and he ta- he just takes possession of her, you know, and she loves it. She loves it. So back at his apartment, he tells her he has to meet a friend, but wants her to stay while he's gone. And this is the first time she's been left in his apartment on her own. So she's, she's good for a really long time. She sits and watches TV and then she just sits there for a while and she gets bored and starts snooping around a little bit and going through his closet and, and everything like that. And she finds in this drawer a stack of photos with, uh, of him with other women and she gets jealous. Now, okay, I'm in two minds about this. Jealousy is something to be worked through together. But in this case, he's playing the whole closed-off Dom cliche and doesn't tell her anything about himself or talk through sort of the emotions that she's going through or that he's going through or anything like that. And in her defense, I'm sorry, but she doesn't really know anything about this guy as far as his life goes. You know, he's got this apartment that that he keeps her at and everything, but he also has a lot of money. You know, for all she knows, he's married and has like a family somewhere else in the city. And this is his secret play apartment. You know, he could afford to have two places. So I kind of get it. You know, I kind of get where she's coming from with this, but does not end well for her he calls her and he says you know makes her admit to being a nosy parker and snooping through his things and he comes home and says you know you've been a really naughty girl elizabeth turn around lift your skirt i'm gonna spank you and she does not respond well at all to this she 
storms out of the room and then comes back and just attacks him, like starts slapping him and shouting at him. You know, I told you guys there are problematic scenes in this movie, so I won't be going into those issues, but just a heads up that I know before you start writing me hate mail, okay? I know. Um, But all of this culminates uh, into a forceful sex scene on a table. After this scene, we are treated to a relationship montage. Another, you know, another staple of 80s movies, the montage. Uh, We see them laughing, we see them fighting, you know, the usual relationship stuff. Which ends with him stood with an umbrella, forcing her to stand out in the rain. Obviously, she gets sick. And again, I know, I know, okay? Which allows him to look after her. Um, And I know, like I said, I know, I know, I know. It's not okay to treat your submissive in that way. You shouldn't purposely cause harm like this. I know. It's, you know, I know. (laughs) Um, Eventually, the curiosity gets the better of her and she follows him to work. Um, she's feeling emotions. She wants to be a bigger part of his life. And she gets a bit jealous because he's got a really pretty secretary. You know, she just, she just wants, she wants more than what he's giving her. So they go to a bar and she tells him that, you know, she likes Wall Street. You know, all the shiny shoes, the gray suits, and she just wants... She wants to know what it would be like to be one of the guys. So after that, she's told to go to this hotel, a really nice hotel, and there are loads of boxes and packages on the bed, and and she's told, you know, get changed into this stuff uh, in the boxes and meet him downstairs. So she appears downstairs dressed as a man, complete with a mustache, a nice suit, and they talk and joke about you know, everything, you know, he talks to her like one of the guys, and she chokes on the cigar and doesn't like the, I'm guessing, brandy, scotch, it, you know, the, it doesn't, it doesn't specify, it looks like scotch to me, um, and they leave, you know, which is around the time that things go a bit awry, we have a car full of homophobes drive past and yell at them, And she, feeling like she needs to be the tough man, jumps out into the street and shouts at him. So the chase is on. They chase him through alleys and everything like that in the rain. And eventually there's a big fight between John and one of the men until she picks up a knife and stabs him in the butt. I mean, what else can you do? (laughs) I have to say, I haven't seen many stabs to the butt in many movies, but hey, they they managed to get it in there. (laughs) So what do you do in this situation? You have sex on the stairwell, of course. Um, It's a great sex scene, honestly. It's really hot. I like the variety of positions that are featured in this one, and the rain, and it's just, it's gorgeous. So... Um, after a few scenes of bed shopping and a striptease scene, which is really fun, that's a super fun scene, uh, and shopping for the perfect whip, 
she comes she kind of comes back to reality at work. There's throughout the background of this movie, there's an artist that she keeps trying to promote and she keeps talking about and he's gone completely incommunicado. No one can get a hold of him. And so she goes to speak with him. Now, when she gets there, there's no one there. The door is left wide open. And she goes in. She sees the rest of his paintings. Because the, the gallery she works at is doing a show for this artist. And they have some of his paintings, but they need the rest of them. And she wanders down a path and finds him sat on a bench and we see that the artist has dementia and doesn't remember what he needs to do his phone's been off the hook this whole time you know it's it's quite touching to be honest because she speaks so passionately to him about his work and about how she wants him to go to this show and and I mean it's clearly very important to her. So we're then back with John. Now John tells her that he wants her to crawl across the floor and pick up money that he's dropping. And she is clearly not into it. Like at all. She is not into it. She she tries a little bit and then it's just like, no, this is stupid. I don't like it. And argues with him until he bullies her into do it. He, he becomes physically threatening, and starts slapping his belt around. He doesn't hit her, but he smacks it into walls. He smacks it on the floor. You know, it. he's being physically threatening, which again, totally fine if you're into it, if you're both consenting to that dynamic. Awesome. But these two clearly have a communication and a compatibility problem. So after this, she's back at her place and she has a bit of reflection. She's playing her message messages and it's just a litany of missed appointments and people she's not been in touch with, you know, which tells us, I mean, she's clearly ignoring her actual life for this fantasy that she's created with John. But then she receives a message from John telling her to meet him at a hotel. So she goes, and it is this shady as fuck hotel. It is not the nice hotel that they were at earlier. And she sits on the bed and she waits. So the phone rings and he tells her to blindfold herself, which she opens a drawer. There's a blindfold in it. She doesn't put it on. And he comes in the room and says, you know, I asked you to do one simple thing. And so she puts on the blindfold. And she she's left sitting there until she hears a knock on the door. And she hears a woman speaking Spanish. She has no idea what's going on. And this woman comes and starts touching her removing her stockings and everything while speaking in Spanish the entire time, and then takes her blindfold off, laughs at her, and then gets up and walks away, where John then goes and starts undressing this woman, who I think is meant to be a prostitute. I don't want to say she's clearly a prostitute, because, you know, I don't want to be the person making assumptions but it's the 80s 
you know, so I'm pretty sure she's meant to be a prostitute, given the area that they're in. So she starts, he starts undressing her, and she loses her shit. She attacks both of them. She starts slapping them both, screaming, and she storms out. And obviously, John follows her, and he's just like, what was it like? What was it like? And she's walking through you know, the sex area of town, all the peep shows and, you know, the porn theaters, all of that. She's walking through until she eventually comes across a live sex show, which, you know, personal note, I've never been to a live sex show. I would really like to go. Does anybody want to go? Let's go. Let's make a day of it. Anyway, um, she's upset. She's crying and she's watching this live sex show. And so she sees John, who's followed her, and she just starts making out with some random dude, you know, to make him jealous. He wanted to know what it was like. She's showing him. So he grabs her, he holds her, he kisses her, and and that's it. Like, it's, it's clearly a line has been crossed. A line has clearly been crossed with her, and she, you know, she's hanging by a thread at this point. That was too much. And as anyone in the lifestyle knows, what do you do? If you if you if if a line has been crossed like that without any sort of negotiation, that's a red flag. That's a red flag for a lot of us. We get the fuck out. We're done. She obviously this is the eighties though. <laughs> she um she's she's very nearly had enough. So we cut to the art exhibit. Right, This art exhibit featuring this artist that she has been trying to promote in the background through the entire movie. And she looks around hoping, oh, God, I hope he shows up. And the artist does show up. He, he shows up. But she's, she's panicking because he's clearly struggling. People are coming up to her and saying, oh, he just stares when you talk to him. He's not with it. And, you know, once he sees her, it seems like he gets it together a bit, but she's panicking. She's, she's upset, you know, and she needs someone. He, John, doesn't show up. And she tries to call him because she needs that strength. She needs that support. And he doesn't answer the phone. And that was it. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. Because this is something that was really, really important to her. And she needed him and he wasn't there. She needed that support. She needed... She just needed that strength in that moment. And he wasn't there to give it to her. And I think that was that was what, in her mind, she had to make a decision. You know, I can't just be this person's fantasy. I have a life. I have vanilla interests. I have passions. And he's just not interested. And so... We see the morning after the art exhibit, you know, she's, he's asleep. She's laying next to him awake and she just gets up and she packs her shit. She packs her shit and he sees her and he panics. 
you know, he starts trying to tell her stuff about his life and about his parents and stuff like that. But it's too late. I'm sorry, for her, it's too late. As painful as it is, she walks away. And she leaves him. And it's it's a sad... I mean, it is a sad scene because she's walking through her New York crowd in tears and he's sat in his apartment, you know, and he says like, you know, I want you to come back by the time I count to 50 or something like, yeah, I think it was 50. And he starts counting and it's just, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So that's how the movie ends. Now, clearly like it's a good movie I do like it and I do recommend it but clearly there's a compatibility problem with these two you know she wants a daddy he wants a slave you know she wants um someone that's going to be kinky and give her all of the fun of a BDSM relationship but she wants the relationship part two she doesn't want it to just be a fantasy. She loved him and he loved her. But he just couldn't reconcile that with his, I don't know, his isolating tendencies. I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> and she wanted someone that was more of a caregiver. You know, she didn't like the, she didn't like the spankings. She didn't like the impact stuff. She liked the caregiving kink, you know. And had it been a different time and these two were able to just talk openly about what was going on with them, might have turned out differently. But I think it's a hot movie. The sex scenes are really good. But it is also a lesson in what happens when that communication breaks down or when you never have it in the first place. Um, BDSM relationships are still relationships at the end of the day. A play partner is not the same thing. But because they weren't talking and because they weren't able to communicate with each other that way, nobody knew what the other one wanted. They just sort of stumbled through it and hoped for the best, which clearly didn't work. You know, um, In the end, I am glad that she found the strength to leave him because... Like I said, nothing he did was wrong within the context of a well-negotiated dynamic, but it was wrong for her, you know? So she had to go. She had to go. But yeah, so those are my thoughts on Nine and a Half Weeks. Do I recommend it? I do recommend it. I still think, despite some of the problematic things that we see in this movie that overall it's a good movie and overall I, I I do like it and that fucking kitchen scene was super hot <laughs> um, I've not played a lot with food so I, I that scene was just like mm, yes all of that <laughs> so we'll have a quick break and I'll play some promos and I'll be right back for our this week's kink of the week My life fades, the vision dims, all that remains are memories. I remember a time of chaos, ruined dreams, wasted land, but most of all, 
I remember the podcast. The man we called Witch. To understand who he was, you have to go back to another time. A time when the doomsday clock ticked ever closer to Armageddon. You can still find The Witch versus The Doomsday Clock Podcast by searching for WYCH on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Memories may decline, but movies live forever. Hello? Who are you trying to reach? I don't know. Um, I think you've got the wrong number. Do I? I'm going to hang up. Wait, don't hang up. What's that noise? Popcorn? You're making popcorn. Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn when I listen to podcasts. I'm about to listen to a podcast. Oh, really? Which one? Probably the podcast on Haunted Hill. Is that the one with the two guys with the beards? Uh, yeah, Dan and Gav. Most episodes, they look at two different horror movies. Each episode, they look at a world of the strange, where they look at weird things from around the world. Sometimes, they even do special episodes where they look at different genres or directors' discographies and talk about them. Do you have a boyfriend? Maybe. So where can I find the podcast on Haunted Hill? Well, you can go to legionpodcast.com, Facebook, Twitter, or just go into iTunes and search for the podcast on Haunted Hill. So, are you going to ask me out? For this week's kink of the week, I um, I thought I would talk about needle play. Needle play is a type of, it, it falls under the umbrella of edge play, and it involves putting needles through or into someone's skin for, obviously, sensation play. Now, this is a hard limit for a lot of people. This is actually one of my hard limits, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it, because... You don't get to talk about your hard limits in a casual way that often. But I have a massive fear of needles. I really do. I'm terrified of them. And I did think about doing some needle play to try to overcome that fear. But I have not had the opportunity to. And I think once it got down to the moment, I would freak out. Um, Needle play is a type of play that you do not want to engage with unless you are taught how to do it properly. There are a lot of factors involved. The needles need to be complete. It's like getting a tattoo or a piercing. If those needles aren't coming out of a sealed packet... That you know, so you know that they are sterile, don't play with them. If your dominant is not wearing gloves, don't play with them. You know, they're the, the risk of, and that's why it's edge play. The risk is higher when you play certain ways, and needle play is one of those ways where you have a heightened risk for infection or just whatever injury. It's it's a risky type of play, but that's what makes it so fun. That's what makes people get off on it. The adrenaline and the, I mean, it's its a sensation like no other. For you needle players out there, I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear from you on the topic of needle play and 
If anyone else have has any thoughts on it, um, you can reach me at legionafterdark@gmail.com. Feel free to send me your thoughts, and I will be more than happy to read your messages on air and answer any questions you might have. Um, so yeah, that's this week's kink of the week. Needle play. It is beautiful. It's artistic. It looks amazing. Considered a bit extreme, but you know, I mean. All the best, all the best kinks are extreme, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> so I do hope you enjoyed this episode, and I do hope that you enjoyed the kink of the week, and I do hope you will enjoy this week's song to scene to. This week's song to scene to is "Daddy May I" by Allie Holder and the Rain Dogs. Enjoy. Oh.
Please. 